You know, the vision of our, our church is not anything new or original. It's very biblical. Um, Soma exists to help people choose the way, know the truth, and live the life. Choosing the way meaning choosing Jesus, the only way to the Father. Uh, knowing the truth meaning getting filled up with the truth of God's word because the truth will set you free. And it's not until you are set free, free in Christ, that you're really able to live the life of Jesus Christ, live a life worthy of the calling. And so that's our vision. And one of the things that we are, um, that we are kind of moving forward with as a church is adopting, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, using, that's a bad word, but um, adopting, we'll just use that one. Uh, a ministry out of Gateway Church called Kairos. Kairos is, uh, is that church's what they call freedom ministry, and it is designed to help people know the truth, specifically to, um, to reject the lies, okay? And I'm not going to go into a big teaching on that, um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to ask Brian Lackey to come up and just share. Uh, myself, Brian, uh, several others went this weekend. Marvin mentioned that he went and uh, it was on Thursday and Friday, and I wanted Brian to come and share just a few things that the Lord spoke to him uh, and encourage you with those as well. Well, first of all, I'm not the type of person to go to seminars and those kind of things. So for the fact that I just went, you know, it's a big deal. But my lovely bride, Sonia, went the time before and got a lot out of it, so I was excited to go. And the Lord knows I had a lot to, to work through and work out in my life. But um, it was amazing, and I'll tell you that it was one of the greatest experiences of my life and something that has meant more to me really than anything I could think of in a long time. And, um, you know, the Lord from, from the first day, it was a two-day thing, and from the first day, from the first experience and the first um, sort of exercises they put us through, and the Lord started speaking to me in ways that, that freed my heart and in ways that I really needed. And it was, it's neat because... You know, there are 900 to 1,000 people there, but it's not set up so that it's about one individual speaker or even the worship team. The whole thing is set up so that the Holy Spirit takes you individually and works on your heart in ways that you need. And um, the thing I guess I wanted to share with you most is that there were things that I didn't even realize that were happening to me. Um, after the whole thing was over, I went with Tony and Christy, and I was in the back seat, and I was breathing, just, <sighs> and uh, Christy turned around and said, everything okay back there? And um, what I was feeling was, um, I've lifted weights, you know, all my life, basically, started in the seventh grade, and when you first start out lifting weights, you really don't know what you're doing, and there have been times I've had too much weight on a bar and tried to get it up, and, you know, it falls on your chest and starts crushing your chest, and the guys that are with you supposedly spotting you aren't, they don't know what they're doing either, so it just <laughs> kind of sits there, you know, and finally they get it off of you. Well, what I felt at the end of, of Kairos was that I had had a 400-pound bar crushing my chest of shame and guilt, and the Lord took that and lifted off of me. Amen. And so I was in the back of the car able to breathe. And uh, so I would highly recommend that each and every one of you, you know, get a chance and go and see what the Lord would do in your life. Awesome. 
Thanks, Brian. One of the things they mentioned right off the bat is that there's two words in the Greek. Um, and if I, if I listened well enough, I think I understood what they were saying. Chronos, which means time, like um, watch time. And then kairos, which means like a special time or appointed time, right? Is that how you would say that? Am I missing that? I'm slightly ADD, and so I may or may not have caught all the details, you know. So anyway, there was cool lights flashing. I'm like, like squirrel, you know. So, but I just thought about how something that we hear a lot, of, and this isn't even my message, but I just want to end that with, a lot of times we hear that, uh, hear that time will heal, uh, heal everything. How many of you have heard that? Well, just give it time, brother. Just give it time. And there is truth to that. But time is not going to heal anything unless you have had an encounter with the living God. And we can go through um, person after person after person. Moses, Jacob, I mean, person after person who they were changed. Not because of how old they were, but because of the encounter with God that they had. And I would encourage everyone in this room to set aside time. Kronos, <laughs> to go get some Kairos. <laughs> Does that make sense? And uh, put the dates back up there. The next one, they do four a year. And, uh, and I'll be talking about this a little bit more next week as we start the teaching series, We Are Soma, um, a four-week series. Um, but that's one of the things that we're going to be encouraging everyone in our church from now on to go through. They do four a year, so you have a whole year, you know. I mean, you have the rest of your life to do it, but we would encourage everybody Sign up for one when you can. It's free. It costs us next to nothing as far as gas and sharing hotels and meals, you know. Um, so it can really be, should be as expensive. If you wanted to sleep in your car and eat ramen, you could, it could be a really cheap trip, you know. But it's worth it even if you um, stayed in a five-star hotel. Amen? All right. So uh, April 9th and 10th is going to be the next one. Uh, this one was a Thursday and Friday, I guess they're all on Thursdays and Fridays, I don't remember. But I want to encourage you a little bit from the Word. If you want to turn to a couple places, uh, you could turn to John 15. We're going to be there. And um, I'm going to really try to communicate this as quickly as I can because uh, I want to have a time uh, set aside for ministry at the end. But let me just say this. We, we are in a, we've been in a teaching series, and I'm actually adding one week. We told you that we were done, but I do that all the time. We're done. <laughs> Psych. No, we're not. Okay, so no, we're not. There's one more message that I want to share with you. And if you've been here or if you'd like to go back and listen to the ones online, I would encourage you to. Week one was the principle. Week two was the practical. Okay? Week one, the principle, sharing with you the principle of seed time and harvest or sowing and reaping. The second week was the practical, practical ways that we can sow and, uh, and expect a harvest in our lives. And we talked specifically about sowing in the areas of righteousness, reaching out, and resources. And, and I think they were very good. The third week, my wife actually shared. She shared about the promises, talking specifically about some of the things that we can expect when we sow into certain areas. And she did a great job, and she handed out a whole list of promises that you can expect from God's Word as you sow in. But I was thinking about this past week, before we even went to Cairo, so please don't think this is necessarily birthed out of that, Although, the things that the Lord shared with me at Kairos for myself definitely confirm what the message he already gave me for tonight. Does that make sense? And the word that came up, and of course, it's going to start with a P. 
And not only a, P, a PR, I was pretty impressed. The Lord just does that. Tonight, what I want to talk to you about is the pressure. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. I don't, I don't have anything on my PowerPoint. But I want to talk to you about the pressure because the third week, Melissa talked about the promises, things that you can expect when you sow in certain things. One of the things I said is that if you sow it, you will see it. And that's not my philosophy or theology. That's uh, it's my theology, but I get that from the Word because it says you will reap what you sow. If you sow with a view in righteousness in mind, you will reap righteousness. I mean, we talked about the principle the first week. But I thought about how, how, um, how strong of a statement that is. That if you reap, uh, that if you sow it, you will see it. That you will reap what you sow. And I thought about how, man, hopefully that's a theology. It is a principle that we really live our lives by. But if it is... There's a lot of pressure attached to that. That if you sow it, you will see it. You will reap what you sow. Because I think all of us are wired in such a way that the pressure for us is that I am the one that has to produce the fruit. How many of you have ever felt like that? Man, I really got to produce the fruit. Because we hear things like when Jesus said, you know, um, the, you have bad trees and you have good trees. The, the good trees um, will be rewarded. The bad trees are going to be cut off. You hear things like, um, I mean, all kinds of things. And it's like, oh, I better produce good fruit then. I better produce good fruit. And so we get into this, uh, this mindset or this pressure-filled life that it is my responsibility to produce that fruit. And I touched on that on week one. I talked about how um, it says that some sow some water, but it's the Lord that brings the increase or it's the Lord that brings about the harvest. And I've talked about we, as, a, as a whole, all we have to do is be faithful to sow in water and it's the Lord's job to bring about the harvest. But even though that is true, I think some of us can get real caught up in this pressure-filled um, mentality that I've got to produce this fruit. And so I want to share with you three things, and I'm going to work my, work my way backwards to show you why it is, I think, for the most part, at least for me, why it is that we feel the, produce, the pressure to produce the fruit. Look at uh, James 5, uh, John 15, 1, real quick. John 15, 1. Actually, I'm not so much going to explain why. I think I just said that wrong. I'm not so much going to explain why we feel that way. I think the tendency is natural. But I'm going to explain to you why we don't have to think that way. Does that make sense? I was about to share something that didn't make sense with what I just said. If you look at John 15, and a lot of us are very, very familiar with this. Jesus is talking, lots of red letters here. John 15, and he starts out by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See, this is one of those where we go, oh, wow, I better bear fruit then. I mean, don't you guys feel that naturally? Every bear that doesn't bear fruit will be taken away. Oh, gosh, I better bear fruit. But I want you to listen to what he says. He keeps going. He says, in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may be more fruitful. So he's pruning, I need to bear more fruit. And there's this natural pressure, because we're humans, to think that we've got to produce fruit. But he goes on to say, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And if I have time at the end, I want to come back to that. I don't know that I will. But verse 4, John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... 
unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now you got to catch this. Abide in me and I am. He's saying you got to bear fruit. But then he says abide in me. By the way, that word abide, if you want to write a little definition of that, you can just write, um, oh, what's the word? I probably have it written somewhere. Uh, wait. Write that in there because it means to, re- some of your versions may even say, if you will remain in me. Some of your versions may even say, if you wait in me. Or you could even say it, if you will wait on me. Okay? So you can write there, write that, right there in your word. Abide in me, wait in me, wait for me, remain in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides or waits on or um, remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches, who abides in me and I in him. He, bear, uh, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Are you seeing this? Our responsible, responsibility is to bear fruit. But he goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. What he's trying to say here is that, look, it's your responsibility to bear fruit, no doubt. We see that clearly. There is a natural level of pressure there. But we try to take all the pressure. What he's trying to say there is, apart from me, you can't do it. If you want to produce fruit, if it's on your heart, which it should be, because all over the Word, you see the principle. If you want to bear fruit in life, you have to attach yourself, abide in, remain in me. So at the end of the day, who could we say the pressure of producing fruit belongs to? I mean, come on. God. You need to bear fruit, but you're not going to be able to do it apart from me. You need to bear fruit according to righteousness. Bear fruit um, in keeping with repentance is another. See, we hear that. You need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh my gosh, you got to bear fruit. And we do. But it's impossible to do unless you are connected to what? The vine. So the responsibility, I have a responsibility in it. But really, if you think about it, what is my responsibility? Just to abide. <laughs> just to wait, just to hang out, just to connect myself to the one who's really owning the responsibility. Does that make sense? And there's so many scriptures, I don't even have time to go into this. Uh, you know, in one place he says, the ones, those are the ones whom the seed was, sown, uh, seed was sown on good soil. They heard the word, accepted it, and they bore fruit, 60, uh, 30, 60, 100. And so, you, yes, there's, there's the expectation to bear fruit, but what, they were, what happened is they were good soil. Their only responsibility wasn't to produce the, for, the fruit, but to just be good soil. God's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the work. All you need to do is connect yourself with me. Be good soil. There's so many, so many verses. I want to backtrack now. One of the reasons that we feel like it's our responsibility or we feel the pressure to, to, uh, to produce fruit is because we also think it's our job to produce the strength that it takes to do the work to produce the fruit. Let me say that again. One of the reasons that we are so emphatically stressed out about producing the fruit, that pressure, is because we think it's also our responsibility to churn up, to work up, to come up with the strength that it takes to do the work to produce the fruit. And you think about all the things, I mean, so many times that Jesus said, you know, if you're weary, if you're weary, something's off. If you're weary, and you're going to be weary, you're going to be tired, you're going to be worn out. But if you are, all you got to do is come to me. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you study that out, you see that it's talking about physical weariness and emotional, spiritual weariness. And he says, I got them all covered. Any area where you are lacking strength, your strength is gone. Come to me, and it says, I will give you rest. He goes on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke. Just, just take, he says, my, what does he say? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you are feeling the weight, I was thinking about what you said with the bar, you know, all this weight. If you're feeling that, you are taking a pressure upon yourself that was never designed to be yours. I am the one who is supposed to carry that. Turn to Isaiah 40 really quick. I want you to, if you don't have this um, marked in your Bible, you gotta, you got to mark it. you got to write this down. Isaiah chapter 40, and most of us are going to know this. We're going to have um, maybe even some of it memorized, but I want to read starting in verse 30. Isaiah 40, starting in verse... Um, Actually, we'll start in verse 28. I like this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? And listen, truly, there are people who do not know and have not heard. Would you guys agree? Maybe you're here and you have not heard and you did not know, but you're about to. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, let's say that emphatically together, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. Okay, that's a backdrop for us being able to relieve the pressure valve, isn't it? The Lord does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. It says in verse 29, he gives strength to the weary. Are we ever going to become weary? I'm asking you a question. Are we ever going to become weary? Do we have to worry? That actually was kind of, you don't have to worry if we become weary. Why? Because he doesn't become weary or tired. He gives strength to the weary. And listen to what it says. To him who lacks might, he increases power. And I love this. This is what most of us are familiar with. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. In other words, he's talking about a principle that exists. We will get tired. We will get worn out. We will. But, he says, those who wait for the Lord. Does that word wait sound familiar? We just talked about that. If you remain in me, if you wait in me, if you abide in me, it's all going to be all right. If you, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up like, uh, they mount up with wings like eagles. I love this. They will run. They will not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Now listen, this is a promise of God. Maybe you had not heard, maybe you did not understand, but now we see it, okay? The pressure to produce the strength, the, pre- the pressure to come up with the amount of strength that it takes. And I think we, we get that pressure in us because we read scriptures like, you need to persevere, you need to press on, you need to um, finish the race, you need to finish what you started. You even take those scriptures that talk about how only those who persevere to the end will be saved. That's an intense one. I want to be saved. I better muster up the strength. I better do the stuff. I need to persevere. I need to... You hear what I'm saying? And we may not be running around say, you know, saying, I'm weary, I'm tired, and trying to produce my own strength. But it's internal. It's internal. 
We feel this pressure and we don't know where it comes from. I, I want to back up one more and tell you, I think I know at least one place where it comes from. And that is the pressure that we still feel even after being born again, even after giving our life to Jesus, the pressure that we still feel to produce forgiveness. We still have something inside of us that is trying to work not out our salvation, but work for our salvation. To earn God's forgiveness. There's something in us that is working hard to pay God back for this amazing work (laughs) that he's done for us. And it's true. What Jesus did for us is unfathomable. It's, It's ridiculous what Jesus did for us. And we know that we could never do anything like that. And so we just spend all of our energy, all of our wills, trying to find ways... And it's very works-oriented. If I do this, if I do that, and and those things will wear us out. Why? Because we weren't designed to work on our own forgiveness. That has already been taken care of. Do you guys see that? I know I'm talking very plainly, but do you guys hear what I'm saying? The forgiveness has been taken out. You look at Ephesians 1. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins, according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1, 14 says basically the same thing. Christ in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sin. Not in anything that we could do. Paul says that all over the place. Lest any man boast. It's not anything that we can do. And yet we try to spend our wills, our energy, our emotions, our time. All kinds of stuff trying to earn that forgiveness or pay it back. Now, I may be the only one that feels that way. But I have a hunch that there are a lot of us that are spending our wills trying to somehow earn that salvation or pay it back or and I thought about this just earlier today or to work up enough brownie points that some of the promises the harvest that he promises the reaping that we will earn that ahead of time and it's just not true it's not true I was thinking about the center thread of those things the pressure to the pressure to The pressure to produce fruit. The pressure to produce the strength that it takes to work to produce the fruit. And how it stems from the pressure that we have just just baseline earn our forgiveness or make right our relationship with God by what we do. And I thought about the central thread. The cure is one word. To understand one word. One word covers all of that. And it's the word grace. Grace grace. It is all by his grace. Let's start from the first one. Let's start from the, from, you know, the, the idea that we got to produce forgiveness. No. Paul said in Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, he says, through faith, for it's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, yes, we have a role in it, but that role is just to believe. It is literally just to remain Wait, abide, believe. His grace poured out, provided the means. We said, I believe that's the best means I've ever seen, (laughs) you know? And we abide in it. We remain in it. We believe it. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Can everybody say, it is a gift of God? 
you do realize a gift is free. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to do enough of this or enough of that or enough of that. It's, it's just a free gift. This gift of salvation, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of grace that provides all those things, it was free, not by works so that anyone can boast. And then you think, so that's grace in the area of salvation, forgiveness, rightness with God. But then you take that up to the next level that we stress out about and try to produce, and you think about um, the, the area of strength. One of the definitions of, of grace that we hear a lot, and I talk about a lot, and, is that grace is the ability, the supernatural ability or power to accomplish in the new covenant what God kind of laid out in the old covenant that nobody could ever do. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, who can do all that? Nobody. But then Jesus comes along and pours out his grace, and that gives us the ability to produce. <laughs> nobody could produce it then under the law, but under what? Grace, we now have the ability to produce everything that he's always wanted us to produce. All we got to do is remain in him. Trust in his love, through faith, abide, wait upon him, press into him. That's, that's it. We're doing this, and all we got to do is kick back like John did on the chest of Jesus. John's the one that got it. He got it. He's the one that wrote this. In John 15, 1 Corinthians 15 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me did not prove vain. But I later labored even more than all them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Did you hear that? 1 Corinthians 15, But the gra- by the grace of God, I am what I am. We need to hear this, you guys. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. And I don't have time to go who the them is and what the labor was. He says, but I labored, uh, I labored, but yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Not I, not my works, not what I could do, but the grace of God with me. And we already read this. Youths grow weary and tired. Vigorous men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord, those who wait, those who abide, those who press in, those who relax almost, those who rest in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run. They won't get tired. They will walk. They won't become weary. And then back to where we started, this pressure that we may feel inadvertently to produce the fruit. Listen, at the end of the day, God does what he does in his own timing. He does what he does. He produces in our lives. I thought about how a lot of people in this, as we um, say, so um, with a view of righteousness, we talked about that. We want to sow things that will help lead us to a more um, righteous life. And, and we talked about, you guys, just to clarify, we talked about we're not saying let's focus so much on the sin. We've got to get that sin out of the way and brush it and sweep it. No, no, no. If we will press in and rest and wait on him and press into the things of the Lord, those things will go away because of the power and the grace that's increasing in us. Does that make sense? As it relates to this producing our fruit. All we have to do to reiterate is sow in water and in his own time. And this is why that word wait 
is so key. In his own time, he will produce what he wants to produce in you when he wants to produce it. All you have to do is wait. All the way from earning your forgiveness to trying to come up with the strength to produce and work, maybe initially from trying to work out your salvation or or work for your forgiveness, that ultimately leads, leads to us stressing about the fruit. If we would just wait, if we would just remain, abide in him. And we've talked about the practical ways, prayer, worship, reading God's word, the simple things that we hear about all the time, we just forget to do them. Or we're working so hard here that we're not doing the simple things of just resting, waiting, abiding, remaining in him. Does that make sense? Here's what I would love. I would love for us to close our eyes. Let's just close our eyes. We have a few minutes left. I think the enemy was trying to talk me out of sharing this earlier this week and Saying, no, you know, Tony, that message is really probably only for a certain type of person. A certain person with a specific type of personality. Someone that's already a little high strung. Someone that's already um, a type A or a type this or whatever. And I felt like, like a flash, like a flood. The Lord came in and said, no, this is typical of any and potentially every believer. This idea that we've got to pay back God to receive just a simple baseline promise of forgiveness. And of course, trying to do things in our own strength. It's very common. It's not just the high energy ADHD people like me, type A's. It's it's many of us. Maybe the way we work those things out is different within our personality. But our personality isn't going to dictate that common struggle. That common struggle is we feel the pressure to produce that forgiveness, to earn that forgiveness, to come up with the strength. And that somehow in the end, if we're called good fruit, that was up to us. If we're called bad fruit, that's up to us. But it's not. It is in the sense that are we abiding or are we, in, are we not? But the ability to become good fruit or the ability to remain bad fruit, that is all the work of God's grace. I thought about this question that I want us to sit quietly as Jeannie just ministers to us with a song is, where am I laboring without grace would you mind just trying to to keep your eyes closed and focus like see if see if there might be a kairos moment tonight and let that question take you to wherever the lord needs to take you where have i tony herring been laboring without the grace of the lord am i trying to produce fruit am i trying to produce the strength that it takes to do the work to produce that fruit or even at a baseline level am I spinning my wheels just trying to earn the forgiveness that I've never felt I've never understood the depths of it and so I'm trying to earn it 
where am I laboring without grace? And as Jenny is singing, maybe the words will minister to you. Don't feel the pressure to sing, but to just ask and let the Lord in this moment answer that question for you. Where, Lord, where am I laboring without grace? Show me, Lord, where I may be laboring without grace. Maybe in your Bible, but what is that area? 
write that down and let this be a day where this area that we've labored without grace, this day is the day that this area is taken care of. That it doesn't cause us to become weak anymore. You know, Paul said, there's nothing wrong with being weak. It's in our weakness that God is made strong. Can I get an amen to that? Just more, uh, more of his promises that it's okay to be weak. But when we are weak, when we know that we're weak, when we have nothing left, we press into the Lord and it's in our weakness that he becomes strong. His strength takes over because he is strong and his might is everlasting. There's no magic in any of this. It's literally a matter of confessing that out loud. And you may want to go home after tonight, work tomorrow or wherever, and you may want to tell your husband or your wife or a friend what that area that you've labored without grace is. Jenny's going to sing a little bit more while she's singing. I don't want you to sing. I want you to use your lips to speak out loud what that is, what that area is. What is that area that the Lord showed you? As she's singing, and it becomes a little louder in here, you can speak that out. Nobody's probably going to hear it unless they're just really, really listening to you. 